welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm John. And today we're talking about Gen Con. Gen Con 50. So, for those of you who have been paying attention, the newest episode got delayed by a week. The episode of On Arkham Horror. And the reason for this is we just got back from Gen Con. We had our annual vacation. Uh, our big group of friends went down to Gen Con and... This year, it was the 50th anniversary of Gen Con, and we're excited. Uh, pro tip, do not ever tell yourself, oh, I'll just do that when I come home from the convention, because you will be exhausted, just for the record. So, to give you guys an idea, for, for those of you who have not been to Gen Con, to get, here's an idea of what's going on. 75,000 people packed into downtown Indianapolis. The Indianapolis Convention Center is one of the largest convention centers in the United States. The entire convention took over that, the football stadium behind it, Lucas Oil Stadium, and all of the connecting hotels. This is a huge convention. So 75,000 people packed in there to do 20,000 plus events and about a thousand different vendors in the I, vendor I hall. Think, I, I think I think about a thousand different vendors in the vendor hall. Uh, definitely several hundred. I will say that much. The tagline for Gen Con is the best four days in gaming. They are not lying. I agree enthusiastically. I've been coming to Gen Con for I want to say seven years now. Seven years. Yeah, and every single Gen Con has been an amazing experience. I've gotten the chance to play all sorts of games with all sorts of people and do all. All sorts of amazing events. It's just an incredible experience. So the whole point of this episode is just kind of give you our thoughts and ideas about Gen Con and kind of try and convince you to put off everything important in your life and go to Gen Con. So we have a, a few major points. I think the first one is Gen Con has this huge exhibit hall. It is the cutting edge, the front edge of tabletop gaming. And there are, as we said, a thousand cup, maybe two thousand at best. I, I don't, I don't, I, I think, I think you're going a little overboard there, yeah, but probably. there's a, yeah, but there's a a lot of vendors. It's a big exhibit hall. In years past, say about 2010, uh, it's grown half again its size since then. So if you went back in 2010 or thereabouts, 2008, 2010, you remember the exhibit hall was pretty monstrous. They've added a third again onto that. So it's a pretty substantial vendor hall with all kinds of areas in it. A lot of the biggest names in gaming are there. Fantasy Flight Games is there. Days of Wonder. Cool Mini or Not. Cool Mini or Not. Paizo. Cool Stuff Inc. Star City Games. Paizo, Wizards of the Coast, and several other uh, major game companies have designated areas outside the exhibit hall where they run events for their games, and there's just these huge areas devoted to gaming. I mean, a 24-hour Pathfinder campaign's running. It's just phenomenal amounts of gaming. Amazing stuff. So the first big bullet point we want to bring up is, if you're a vendor and you have a booth at Gen Con, perfect the art of the elevator pitch. Remember that we're all here to play games and to experience new things, but I'm only going to have time to demo maybe 20 or 30 games a day. I mean, even if... John, I think you're kind of giving yourself a little too much credit there. I, I'm ambitious. <laughs> I demoed a lot of games, okay? So I'm only going to have time to demo so many games, and 
A big part of what makes me decide whether or not I'm going to demo your game is in addition to how good the game looks just on a regular glance or how exciting it looks if I'm seeing someone else demoing it is going to be how well you pitch your game. And the elevator pitch is a big part of that. If you're not familiar with the term elevator pitch, it comes from the idea that if you're stuck on an elevator with someone, you've got about 30 seconds to pitch your product or your service to them and explain to them why they would be interested in it. You have to be able to hit all the important bullet points in that 30 seconds. And and this goes for everyone, not just the small vendors. This goes for the big vendors. If you're the Paizo, if you're cool mini or not, I still want your sales associate to be able to tell me why I should pick up your your new board game. And the big thing is you need to be able to tell us what the game is, what the major theme of the game is, what kind of mechanics we're going to see in the game, and especially why we would play your game over other games of a similar genre. For instance, if you have a new role-playing game, you need to tell me why I should put down Dungeons & Dragons or Chronicles of Darkness. Deadlands. I I plan on playing Deadlands. I swear to God, I plan on (laughs) running Deadlands. Okay, but you have to tell us why we would put down the tried-and-true role-playing systems that we're already playing and give your game a shot. And a big part of that is telling me what sets your game apart, and doing so in a concise manner that convinces me that I want to give it a shot. I think the best elevator pitch that we received while at Gen Con was for a game called Victoriana, which we, we saw this game, it, there was a demo there, but it, it wasn't even a demo, it was just kind of a, a, a prototype. They had finished their successful Kickstarter campaign, and we're now taking pre-orders for their game through the end of August. You still have an opportunity to pre-order that game as of when this episode comes out, so, you know, give it a shot, maybe look into it, give it some consideration. I do want to say that they gave us the most phenomenal elevator pitch. We were about to walk away when we realized, oh, there's not even a demo here, there's no product here for us to buy, let's just walk away. Wait, this game looks interesting, what is it? And the, the guy there, one of the designers of the game, or the developers, came up and pitched the game to us. It's a Victorian style game. You are going around the map trying to uncover clues very much like Arkham Horror, but instead of having the one big uh, Mythos uh, deck, there's a whole bunch of smaller decks. Also the difficulty is really well tuned. Also, all of the characters are based on either historical or fictional characters from the time. Like, you have your Mina Harkness, you have your Sherlock Holmes, you have your Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And the game is primarily resource uh, acquisition and management, and one of its biggest selling points was that it has a very fine-tuned difficulty curve. And he was able to explain all of this to us in a way that made sense and made us interested in the game. It was something that sounded like something we'd want to try with our group, fully cooperative. We love fully cooperative games. Resource management. Resource management games can be a lot of fun. They can be very interesting with a very strong thematic element. And he got us hooked by giving us a good 30 second pitch. John was mentioning before we started recording how he once asked someone why he should get back into Magic the Gathering. The basic explanation they gave me is it's the biggest TCG out there. Well, great. It's the biggest. Okay. What about it sets it apart? What makes it awesome? And this is this is Wizards of the Coast. I don't want to name names as far as, you know, who I was speaking with, but we're, we're talking about one of the biggest gaming companies out there and all they could just keep saying is, well, it's it's the biggest trading card game out there. It's, you know, it's got a million expansions in a huge community. Yeah, but what about the game sets it apart? Why would I play this over, say, Yu-Gi-Oh? Now, I know the answer to that, but they should be able to tell me the answer to that. And big companies need to work on this as well. They need to be able to sell their product. That's not all we want to talk about. There are other things about the convention that you should know. Uh, 
my second point on here is be prepared for pain. Unless you do a lot of walking in your normal life, going to a convention is taxing. We walked many miles each day. What was it, like six to seven miles each day? Yeah, I figured that by the end of the convention, I had walked about, according to my phone apps and all that, I had walked about 34 miles total. That's a lot of walking, especially when I have a sedentary desk job most of the time. I'm not, you know, an athletic person. I mean, I'm a gamer, you know? <laughs> Let's be honest, okay? So I'm not doing a lot of sprinting on a regular basis. I, you know, I get in one good walk a week usually, you know, a couple miles a week, and that's pretty solid, I think. But this is this is a whole nother level. This is not just, you know, taking a few steps here and there. You are going to be all over the place, depending on what kind of events you set up and what kind of schedule you have for Gen Con, you could be walking miles and miles every single day. So be prepared for some pain. Have some pain relievers with you. Some icy hot for when you get back to your hotel room. I'll admit I was a bit of an idiot this year. I purchased a game that is notorious for being big. I purchased a game called Kingdom Death Monster. This is a $400 game. Why did I purchase it? Because I have too much money and I hate having money to myself. (laughs) And well, it's because it's awesome, actually. It's a really cool game with really cool minis. But go on, go on. So I purchased this at the beginning of the first day. On Thursday, I ran right to the booth and I picked up this game. It's a 20-pound game. They didn't have any carrying bags for this game. So I walked around for two and a half hours lugging a 20-pound box out in front of me. Which, 20 pounds isn't that much. But when you're offset, off-kilter, and then you're adding more and more games to your back, by the time I was done, I think on the first day I had 35. 40 pounds of games hanging off me via straps and bags and whatnot. And I threw my back out. The rest of the day, I could barely walk. Which is the best way to start a four-day convention, for the record. So be prepared for pain. Also, on the same note, be prepared for emotional pain. Your games are going to sell out. If you see a game... It's probably going to sell out unless it's super well stocked. Is it awesome? It's probably going to be gone and you should jump on that. I mean, as an example, Captain Sonar, which is not a new game. It's not something that just came out at the con. Captain Sonar was sold out on the first day. Paizo's new Starfinder completely sold out. I didn't I did not even see a copy of it that wasn't already bought. First day gone. A lot of the best and most exciting products are going to sell out immediately. If that's important to you, you need to jump on that. You need to look in advance for what you're looking for and be ready to snatch it up as quickly as you can. Even games that are well stocked, if buzz gets around the convention, they will sell out by the time Sunday rolls around. There was a game I picked up on Friday called Dice Forge. It's a dice crafting game. By Sunday, it was completely sold out. You could not pick up copies. And so you really have to prepare. Plan a little bit ahead of time about what games might be interesting to you, and then make sure that you get them. And I suppose the last little bit uh, here that we have to talk about is the events we love and the games we love. As I said, there's 20,000 plus events at Gen Con. My girlfriend did a plate etching. Our whole group did True Dungeon, which 
I'll get into that in a bit. So we're, we're just going to talk a little bit about the highlights of this trip. I suppose that uh, the perennial highlight, at least for me, is uh, is always going to see the damsels of Dorkington. They're a they're, they're an acting troupe, an improv troupe, who are the exact middle of way too highbrow and way too specific comedy and way too many dick jokes. Like the complete overlap right there is amazing. Your mileage may vary on that because there are a lot of dick jokes involved. To be fair, the damsels of Dorkington are very blue. I mean, we're not talking about humor that you can take your kids to. This is this is some pretty raunchy stuff, but they're a lot of fun. They're uh, one of my favorite acts of all time. Uh, they're always exciting, high energy, and they're always very heavy in the gaming-specific stuff. Uh, this year, they, of course, did uh, some Game of Thrones stuff. Specifically, one of their shows was a about how the books are going to play out totally, you know, and it's playing on all these fan theories that everybody has. They they do shows based on Shakespeare. They've done other literary shows. All of their stuff is based on gaming and geek culture, and it's really exciting and really interesting. They're a lot of fun. Definitely recommend seeing them if you have a stomach for the blue sort of humor that we're talking about. Another one of the events that is really big for us is True Dungeon. I suppose the best way I can describe True Dungeon is it's one part haunted house, one part role-playing game, one part shuffleboard, uh, all combined together with an escape room. This year was in the basement of Lucas Oil Stadium. We've been doing True Dungeon for about five years now. And it, it's really fun. It, it takes about an hour and a half, two hours, and you go through and they have these huge uh, live-action puppets to, that uh, come out and attack you. Oh, there, there were some amazing animatronics this year, I just want to say. And there have been in years past, you can find videos of this stuff online. It's amazing. They really put the special effects, uh, they crank that up to 11, and they do a great job with it. A lot of excitement, a lot of interest. There's some pretty ingenious puzzles that require a lot of solving. Uh, Some of them are kinetic where you have to move things around and and, uh, arrange things in specific ways. Some of them are basically doing things in the right order, stepping in the right places. And all of it just uh, has this fantastic atmosphere to it. All these uh, different story elements coming together and has some unique resolution mechanics. One thing I can say against True Dungeon is if if you're on a really tight budget, it is a very expensive event and it can get even more expensive because there is equipment and loot you need to bring into the dungeon with you. And it sells out before the convention even opens. The tickets for it go as soon as tickets go on sale. Yeah, you will. If you're interested in True Dungeon, you need to jump on that because day one, hour one, it's going to be sold out. And you're going to be, I mean, there's going to be like individual one person slots left on runs after the first day. That's the only thing you're going to be seeing. You're not going to be able to get into a group with your uh, seven friends or anything like that. Lastly, for me, I think probably the coolest thing that they had this year was on the 50-yard line on the field in Lucas Oil Stadium, The what, what can only be con, uh, considered the center of football jockdom, they had a museum to Gen Con. It, it had the footprint of where the first Gen Con, uh, Gen Con was up in uh, Wisconsin, had the size of that, 
at, uh, I can't even remember the name of the hall off the top of my head, but, and it had just this wonderful history of gaming and history of Gen Con. It was a wonderful little museum, and I, I wish I could have spent more time in that, just looking around. It was beautiful, and for those of us who have been in gaming culture for a long time, there was a lot of nostalgia to be had there. We're looking at original red box D&D sets um, in glass and some really old DMing notes from way back in the day. I mean, we're talking about classic stuff, and for me, it was kind of a trip to a sort of memory lane, a sort of gaming mecca where there was this amazing sense of community this this reminder of how far gaming has come as a culture and as a touchstone that we we all have that we all share in this community and it was uh really kind of emotional for me um seeing all of these homages to the old masters who helped create this culture these ideas and perfect them and bring them to this uh mass appeal sort of thing there is this sort of irony to seeing that at football stadium <laughs> but it was pretty amazing honestly we don't have a lot of time left on this episode so let's just go back and forth here real quick games that we like talk about a game that you saw that you liked and just one real quick reason why you liked it we'll go back and forth a little bit on that Wartime. Wartime was one of the most unique experiences I've had with a game. It's a real-time tactical war game where you use hourglasses to mark when you've moved a unit and you can move units again as soon as an hourglass becomes available and there's a unit that you can move with it. Uh, It was a unique experience because of the real-time elements and it gave me an opportunity to play a kind of game that I've never played before. It was a truly interesting gaming experience. The big game for me this year was Kingdom Death Monster. Not only is it a heavy game, it is a heavy metal game. It's black metal meets teenage boy fantasies. It is death, death, all over. It's it's Dark Souls in board game form, and it's huge. You have settlement building, you have fighting monsters, you have hunting the monsters, you have equipment upgrading. It's a game within games within games, and I hope it, it's as good as I, I think that it is. Captain Sonar. I know it's not incredibly new, but it was a new experience to me, and it's another one of those real-time games where there's action happening all the time. You have to be able to sort things out. Really interesting. Uh, something that I think that would work well with a large gaming group like mine. It features up to eight players. Technically, you can play with less, but your ideal is to have one person in each role. A really interesting gaming experience. Uh, something of a hunter-killer experience where your subs hunting each other. And it's a newer experience for me because uh, I think these real-time elements are becoming something of... Uh, I know there's been real-time games all the way since Pit and Dutch Blitz, but I think these real-time games are kind of coming into their own as a new gaming concept. We had a really fun time playing Two Rooms in a Boom. We picked up a few tickets for that, and our group got uh, split up. We had 20-some-odd people in our particular group, and we just played back and forth. Two Rooms in a Boom is a hidden roles game. You have two different rooms. One side's the president, one side's the bomber. Bomber wants to be in the room with the president when he blows up. The president doesn't want that. It's a really fun little game. I believe that we talked about it a little bit in our Hidden Rolls game. Uh, game. And it, it was just a fun little event to have our group play together. It was fun.
fun to actually have my girlfriend come into the gaming culture. She's a little bit new to it, and so it was good to show her, hey, this is us having fun. Paco Game, a company that makes small games that are about the size of a pack of gum. They have, I want to say, 20 games to date, and a lot of them are really interesting little games. Some of them play faster than others. There's word games, there's puzzle games, and they're just a lot of interesting little games. I picked up a whole bunch of those. I already had some, but I needed to expand my library, of course. And what I like about them is they're very transportable. They're typically pretty rules light, so they can be taught pretty fast. And they've got a lot going on in them, a lot of interest there. In general, they're very cheap games as far as price is concerned. The price point's pretty low on them, so they're a good entry-level sort of thing. And it's just a unique concept, all these tiny little games that can fit in a pack of gum. Three-letter names is a theme with them, which I thought was kind of neat, you know? You gotta have you gotta have your gimmick, and I think they do their gimmick really well, and it works well with what they're trying to do. It doesn't draw away from that, so that was really cool. So I could go on and on about all the different games I picked up. I picked up Bemused, I picked up Secrets, I picked up the new edition of Sword and Sorcery, I picked up Last Friday. All of these are really fun games, and I plan on playing a lot of them. Heck, I I picked up a variation on Love Letter called Lovecraft Letter. Ha, ha. I hate myself. <laughs> and I, I could go on and on about that, but I think the booth that actually surprised me the most was the Game Crafter booth, their uh, Game Candy booth. It had just bits and pieces and meeple and different little wooden cubes and plastic cubes and bits for uh, either replacing parts in your games or, more correctly, crafting your own games, prototyping games. John and I both picked up large numbers of uh, these meeples and little bags for actually fairly cheap. Your bag was what? 12 bucks and it was a pretty substantial bag. I'd say there's about a hundred meeples in there at least. Uh, I want to say, yeah, there's about a hundred and forty meeples in that bag for twelve dollars. That's about that's less than a dime a meeple. That's pretty good. I spent thirty three dollars in their booth, and that's pretty good right there. I plan on prototyping some games just because I, I think uh, a lot of gamers have that idea of, oh, I have this board game idea that I'm gonna put out there, and it, it was fun. Yeah, Game Crafters has a lot going for them, and they're a really cool company with a lot of stuff available. Check them out if you get a chance, especially if you have that game in mind that you've been working on for a while, something that you're really ready to throw out there or at least start prototyping. It's uh, pretty pretty solid prices for entry-level stuff, and they can help you make your game into a reality. It's a really cool thing. So, that right there is our Gen Con special. We're still both very sore, very tired. Hopefully you uh, you forgive us for the, the delay in episodes, and hopefully you, you appreciate this little insight into our, our vacation. The other episode that we posted today was Arkham Horror, which we geek out for about 25 minutes or so about a game that we love. Yeah, one of our all-time favorites, and Fantasy Flight is still producing uh, Arkham Horror and also games based on and around the concepts in Arkham Horror. They've built kind of a franchise around that game. They're continuing to expand that franchise with things like Eldritch Horror and such. So, it's a really interesting game. Fantasy Flight was also at Gen Con. I just want to point out that Fantasy Flight is so popular, they had a booth worth of space for the line to get into their booth. That's how popular Fantasy Flight is, and I feel they've earned that honestly. If you've played any Fantasy Flight games, you understand this. Alright, so thank you very, very much for listening, and uh, tune into the next episode, Arkham Horror. Take care. Save vs. Rent is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. 
Save vs. Rent is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at SaveVsRent.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.